Maybe we take one final question from this list, which is, I think, would love it if you touch on the challenges facing Muslim women in the entrepreneurship world. And then we'll talk about men. Challenges facing Muslim women, eh? Okay, so whilst my brain subconsciously thinks about the challenges facing Muslim women, a couple of points before we move on from the business uh, sphere, I will come to the Muslim women question. A couple of anecdotes, if you want, from the business sphere that I think are absolutely key that I quickly share, inshallah, with our listeners. Years ago, I was in Northern Ireland when the property boom had occurred. And I was with the accountant. It was the account- and, and this is a lesson I will never, ever, ever forget. It has got to rank amongst the five biggest lessons of my life, certainly in business and so on. Myself and the accountant on one side of the table, opposite us, a father and son team who really, they call themselves property developers. They weren't property developers. What happened in Northern Ireland is property was depressed, land was depressed. When the Good Friday Agreement kicked in and peace started, everything shot up. Now, what these people did is very early on, they bought a few pieces of land, waited for pension funds and property developers and all that, wanting to buy land, and then what they called flip, flip the land and sold it on. Now, in their most recent sale, and it was just one of many they'd made, they made a capital gain and a profit, let's just call it profit, forget the technical terms. They made profit on that land of about five million pounds on just one stretch of land. So the accountant had me in to advise on from a tax perspective, how can they manage their liability, mitigation, trusts, funds, and so on. The meeting occurs, we give them a solution, great. They leave the room. The accountant turns around to me and he says, Sufyan, I don't get this. I went to university. I did a really good degree. I trained as a chartered accountant. I got my ACA, blah, blah, blah. On top of all of that, I worked for years and years to get to this position to see clients like this. And I will not make the money in best part of my working life that these guys made in three months or six months by selling this five million pound stretch of land. I won't even make that money in most of my working life. Where did I go wrong? Yeah, that these people have made this much and I didn't. Now, if I really wanted to be rude, I'd have told him what I was thinking of in my mind, but, but I didn't. But here's what I was thinking of. When all you're trained to do in life is one thing, which is what your LLB gives you or your ACA or your Oxbridge degree or whatever, if you restrict your talent, your potential, your possibility, even your probability to just one square box and what you were trained to do, then you will never learn to think outside of the box. And in the case of the accountant, he was trained to do one thing, which became the only thing he could do. In the case of the father and son, they weren't trained to do anything. That's why they thought they could do everything. And that's a really important point to learn. Don't let your background and training dictate to you what you think you can do. When we went from first ethical to 1E, they were two completely different disciplines, businesses in their entirety. One was financial services in the Muslim community. The other one was high-end world-class tax solutions, 99.9% pretty much in the non-Muslim community. But the entrepreneur, for all those watching today, never allows that stopping you doing it and making that transition because you have to think outside the box. And that relates very quickly to the second anecdote, which is years ago, I saw something in a magazine and it said, it's not the letters after your name that matter. It's the name before the letters. It actually was an advert by Warwick Business School. And it said Warwick MBA. And the argument was you can get an MBA from anywhere. But if you get it from Warwick, people will notice the Warwick about the MBA, not the MBA per se. 
But that means a lot outside of the NBA sphere. For all of us as human beings, as Muslims, as individuals, the investment we make into who we are as people, the time at which we get up in the morning, the disciplines we follow, the meditation we do, the praying we do, the hard work in business, the hours we put in, the books we read, the lack of time on PlayStation and games consoles that even adults seem to, honestly, worries me how many people play Fortnite and things like this, yeah? Getting rid of the wasted time in our lives and actually investing in us as human beings is where the name before the letters comes in, yeah? Your letters, your ACA, your LLB is nothing but an insurance policy for you in life. If you aren't able to do what you want to do in life, if you aren't able to achieve what you want to achieve, then fall back on your three letters from your university and whatever. Other than that, let the name do the talking, the achieving, the believing, and the fulfilling the aspirations of who you want to be in life. The letters make you who you have to be. The name makes you who you want to be. Right. Anyway, you had a question about women. <laughs> right. It might be relevant what you just said to that as well, because I think without Angel Syndicate, which obviously you have invested in a few businesses, we find that on the diversity end, obviously we invest in lots of Muslims, ethnic minority founders. The one area we struggled in is to find great deals that are led by female founders. And I don't know, maybe perhaps part of that is that our society, particularly Muslim society, perhaps doesn't give us much, I don't know, confidence or self-belief in women. I don't know, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, about the whole kind of Muslim women in the entrepreneurship world? Yeah. One of the tragedies as a community, of, as an Indo-Pakistani Bengali community, is we have inherited so many of the negative traditions of India. Oh, because Bangladesh, Pakistan, Pakistan came out of India, Bangladesh came out of Pakistan, it all came, came out of India in the first instance, or as time went on. And there are a certain cultural baggage which governs a lack of women's entrepreneurial skills and perception about women and so on, which has meant we've seen them a certain way and we've treated them a certain way. It's so odds with so much of our faith. So classic scenario in Asian families, it's generally speaking the men who are the entrepreneurs. But you have got so many examples of successful Muslim women entrepreneurs out there, whether it's kind of samosa factories or a whole host of other stuff. But if I just say this, it should put everything into context. For all those of us who believe a woman should stay at home, I don't put myself in this category, stay at home and do nothing other than the cooking and the cleaning and all this sort of stuff. The wife of the Prophet his first wife, and actually whilst she was alive, the only person he was married to, Hazrat Khadija radiallahu anha, actually she was the entrepreneur and yeah. he worked for her and she was a really successful entrepreneur. So if you think it's some kind of completely un-Islamic concept for a woman to be educated and to go out and work and be successful within the domains of her own safety and within the domains of what the pair of you are happy with and so on, if you think that's wrong, then I just think you're deluded. I've always said and this is born out from business experience and born out from my time in MEND, that unquestionably women are more talented than men. There's no doubt about it. I give a task to a woman and I give it to a man and the woman invariably will outperform the guy, is the reality. So they might be 50% of the ummah, but they're probably 75% of the talent base. And it's a complete tragedy that they are not at times allowed to express their entrepreneurial skill because all relegated to kind of management administration posts because mm-hmm. they are phenomenal. So the challenges in terms of our ethnic community attitude towards it are huge because 
we've never really seen them in that light. And it was, certainly would be good to see more Muslim female entrepreneurs. And I think organizations like IFG and others, and I'm happy to play a part wherever on this, should be looking at initiatives to get more Muslim women into business and running businesses. And by the way, it's not just a Muslim community thing. Society-wide, there aren't enough women in business. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, society-wide, more initiatives are needed. No, Jazakallah care for that, Sufyan. Time is running, and I really wanted to talk about MEND, which in many ways I think is the pinnacle of what you've achieved in your life. For those of you who don't know what MEND does, it'd be great to hear from you what exactly, in a nutshell, MEND does and how it started and what drives you to do what you do. I think most entrepreneurs make their wealth in their mid 40s between 45 to 50 is that sweet time sweet spot for most entrepreneurs where they've made a few million and now they're on the golf course on the friday they've got the ferrari they've got most things they want in life the lovely house and so on the kids are at private school blah blah but by the time you hit close to 50 you've probably lost the drive you need to do it all again you reflect on life past 20 years you're not physically who you were 20 years ago and you just want an easy life. And that's understandable. You've worked hard for your money and so on. I had the good fortune, by the grace of Allah, not to make my money when I was 45, but to have made it when I was 35, which is 10 years earlier. It might be 10 years earlier, but it's more like 20 years earlier when you factor health into the equation. So your ability when you're in your 30s to get to the gym and really get yourself healthy is much better than it is in the 40s. Your ability to take risk is much better in your mid-30s than it is in your 40s. Your ability to deal with headache and nonsense, right? And I've had more headache and nonsense in men than you could possibly imagine, yeah? Had fantastic experiences as well, alhamdulillah. But your patience and your threshold is far better. And I kind of figured this when I was about 35, 36, that it's now or never. It really, really is. Of course, we could have stayed in business. Of course, we could have made more, 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 many more millions than we made. Of course, we could have. But it's a trade-off in life. Are you now going to take that leap of faith, do one what you honestly believe represents your long-term moral interest, ideological interest, Islamic interest in this life and the next, inshallah, the help for humanity. Two, gives you a bit more time with your kids as they're growing up, which is dead important in your family, and so on and so forth. And three, lets you start thinking about learning how to cook, which I've been pestering people for years, yeah, to teach me to cook. Clearly, no one's willing to take me on, yeah, and mentor me from that perspective. But the kind of things that we all want to do, I think you are more likely, if you're able to retire in your mid-30s, to actually achieve them than you are in your mid-40s because of that. So the aspiration for men came from a few places. One was a ridiculous rise in attacks on Muslims and Islamophobia, like, God forbid, the, the knifing to death and being left in a pool of blood on the street like Muhammad Salim, the whole 9-11 and Islamophobia position after that. And what you think to yourself as an entrepreneur then is, did God give you the entrepreneurial skills that he has given you purely to make money or actually also to benefit humanity? If you honestly believe it's just to make money, you're such a flawed human being and completely deluded because the greater gift to humanity is not your wealth and what you spend in within it. It really, really is the benefit and structure and strategy that you can give humanity, the infrastructure you can build, the way you can bring communities together, the way you can reduce hate, and so on. All these are far better places for your skill to be employed. 
So when I was seeing the rise of Islamophobia, my concern was there's no real professional organization with fully manned offices, with a proper research and policy team which analyzes government legislation and doesn't criticize it when it's right, but does criticize it when it needs to be criticized, lobbies properly, works with the media, empowers our community and gives us belief. We are now so used to failure as a community, we don't even know what success tastes like. And when you consider that historically what this community has achieved, it's as much as any community, if not more so in the history of humanity. And giving a bit of dignity back to a community which has lost so much is one of the core purposes of MEND. And that's why the community empowerment side, where we work with schools, universities, the police, try and make sure the Muslim vote counts in elections and countless other stuff is absolutely key. And then, of course, you'll know we've set up the legal defense unit where any victim of Islamophobia can go to. In other words, what I was hoping we could try and do was, one, guarantee the future of Islam in this country, inshallah. So just like people from other faiths are very comfortable in their skin, Muslims should have no problem. Guarantee Islam per se, inshallah, in this country as well. And on top of all of that, ensuring we present the best possible image of this faith to people who are not from this faith. And so one, they may not hold hostility towards it and towards us, or two, they may even consider embracing it. That's important. And And Jazakallah khair for that. You've spent countless hours, hundreds of thousands of pounds and headache into building this thing. And I think it's fair to say that building MEND is harder than building your ordinary charity. Do you want to talk around the issues that come with being in the kind of public spotlight and the political kind of pressures that you have and all of that sort of thing. I think it's important for people to understand that MEND is kind of in the front line here, taking the flak sometimes. Oh, absolutely. If we consider where MEND started and where, alhamdulillah, it is today and the challenges that we faced, I always say to Muslim businessmen that MEND is at least five times the challenge business was. In business, you tend to have the money required to pay people to recruit them at the level at which the organization needs a competence. Quite often, people don't get hugely and idealistic things and so on, and a whole host of other factors, which I'll come to in a second. But MEND was set up, what, probably five and a half, six years ago, something like that. Today, it has seven offices, 30-plus employees, a legal defense unit, which has dealt with over 600 people who've been subjected to Islamophobia, phenomenal amount of intellectual capital built by the policy team, thousands of people on the ground who've been through its training courses, and most importantly, a mechanism where if sometimes the government of the day or sometimes just the right wing want to attack the Muslim community like ban hijab in some places, like stop fasting, like shut down a Muslim school, like ban halal meat, MEND has this entire infrastructure from an online platform, to volunteers on the ground, to relationships with schools and police and politicians, which springs into action to start defending the Muslim community and the vulnerable. And part of that was articulated when dispatches tried, through John Ware and the right-wing lobbies tried attacking us. They simply concluded, in their own words, MEND is quote-unquote very effective. So what we've tried to do, and this links into the previous point, We've tried to apply corporate business philosophy because in five and a half, six years, this thing has become a real force to contend with for so many people when it comes to the Muslim community and its ability to affect change, alhamdulillah, in the UK and to protect Islam, inshallah. But the way it was done is previously, virtually all efforts in this space 
were either with respect by very elderly uncle G's who may have run a mosque committee and Allah given the reward for that, but really didn't know how to run an organization strategically. So none of those efforts to date have ever really had any significant impact. What MEND aimed to do, and to a degree has done, but has got to do a lot more of it, inshallah, is to dissect the challenge of protecting Islam in this country and Muslims into an organizational challenge from an entrepreneurial perspective, which is what is our product, i.e., what does our policy team do? All the briefing papers on protecting halal meat, hijab, niqab, Muslim schools, counterterrorism law, online Islamophobia, blah, blah, blah. What are the problems? What technical know-how is the policy team creating to solve those problems? Then number two, ensuring our entire community operation is a bit like the delivery mechanism of our product across communities, where through schools, universities, mosques, through our elections, through the campaign strategies, through police forces, blah, 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 we are delivering our game plan of ensuring halal meat, hijab, niqab, Muslim schools, all of the stuff actually is achieved through those delivery mechanisms. And then you just have the legal defense unit, which is our reactive firefighting mechanism, which takes care of anything that gets through the system because our raw material policy creation product know-how, our delivery mechanism of our community strategy hasn't succeeded in that particular instance of stopping that Islamophobia occurring. So it is a combination of well-thought-out understanding of what matters to Muslims and protecting Islam, coupled with a well-crafted grassroots operation, delivering that game plan through delivery partners, infrastructure, and stuff along those sorts of lines, and then just a reactive defense mechanism if something gets through. It's still early days. There's still lots of hatred, Islamophobia, and so on. But five and a half, six years in, alhamdulillah, it's achieved phenomenal amounts. There probably isn't anything I can think of. When people like Numan Ali Khan and Sheikh Yasser Qadi and, and these people say that there's organizations in the US and other parts of the globe that have been going many, many decades, but really in four, five, six years, Mendy's light years ahead of just about everything else out there. They say it for a reason, which is this thing was built on a corporate strategic blueprint. Now, that has had its casualties. Not everybody likes my way of management. Sometimes I refuse to do things a particular way and people leave the organization. Good luck to them and good luck to us. Because the nature of entrepreneurs is you've done it that many times in corporations. You learn to take a lot of the emotion out of it. When you're across the victory line, that's the time to celebrate. That's the time to have the emotion and jump up. Until that point, you have to deal with dispassionate clarity with the challenge in front of you. And we have had a number of times where we've had to make really tough decisions in the organization. And I've made decisions which have really annoyed people, stamped the authority on them, and people have left as a result. And honestly, I don't regret it. There may have been some aspects that I could have done better or dealt with better, but the core decision I don't regret. Because again, as Alex Ferguson says in his biography, never be afraid of making the big decisions. You have to in the interest of the organization and so on and so yeah. forth. This is a side point, because obviously when you're making those big decisions, obviously you think they're right and hope that they are the majority of the time. And increasingly, I speak from personal experience, building an organization with IFG now, you have to make big decisions. How do you build up the courage to do that? Or how do you know that this is one of those decisions where I have to do the painful thing? Is there kind of 
any thoughts you have or guidance around that? It kind of goes back to the nature of entrepreneurs is that when something feels right, you just do it. And it's almost like the entrepreneur spends all the time afterwards justifying why they did what they did. Whereas most other people have a proper due diligence process and then they decide whether they're going to do what they're going to do. Whereas the entrepreneur's view is instinctively he's computed it, like leaving paid employment or like in my case, also leaving the whole business world per se, initially I'm carrying out meant it just felt right in the heart. And the entrepreneur's instinctive judgment call is usually better than most people's intense due diligence analysis and, and so on and so forth. There's very few people in the world who, once I've made a decision, can make me turn back on it. Very hardly any. And I wrote off, when I decided to leave business, in terms of like the one sense of the word, obviously we all have investments and things like that. I wrote a document explaining why, because I knew no one's going to understand this. See, if you look at where organizations like MEND and our private equity operations and everything are today, it was so obvious it was the right decision to leave business and 1E and what's happened to the tax planning industry actually five and a half, six years ago. But at that time, when it was making fortunes and MEND wasn't what it is today, it was a real leap of faith. It was a massive, massive leap of faith. And so I wrote off to about 13, 14, 15 people who I really trusted. Every single person said I was bonkers doing it. Uh, near enough, or or just didn't kind of fully respond or whatever. The only person, hand on heart, I can remember, who was whole hog, you have to do this, was my mom, right? Was my mom. That doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Now, had my mom said no to me, I might have rethought, (laughs) right? I might have carried on in business. Had she said, Beta, the income's really good and don't rock the boat, everything's going really well then yeah, I might have been tempted to have not gone down that route. But when your internal conviction to actually do something with your skill set to make the world a better place tells you to do it, and your mom doesn't stop you doing it, and actually wholeheartedly encourages you, then I think it's a done deal, to be honest with you. There's not that many people I'm that bothered about in life, them stopping me doing things, right? But as I say, (laughs) my mom would have been one of them. The other thing is my sister could have threatened to withdraw and withhold biryani from me yeah and if if she did that because she's the best biryani chef on the planet that might have been a bit of an issue for me as well yeah but uh, alhamdulillah it didn't happen alhamdulillah may Allah smile that protect your mom she's a hidden gem behind every every covid but (laughs) (laughs) she's locked up she's on lockdown (laughs) oh dear i wanted to share a random snippet from like my mend journey i joined yeah. mend a few years ago and you're one of those people and i think mend is one of those organizations where mashallah there's a really good community spirit everyone kind of mocks in and whenever there's like a situation arises you're often the person who's coordinating everything i think i was trying to buy a car at the time and i think you called me out of the blue and you were like look i need you to I think was it like look over a press statement or I need you to talk to someone from a legal perspective and you were coordinating with someone else to sort out something else. And there was like three or four other moving parts. There was a conference call. This is not a one-off thing. This is like a regular thing. And I think a lot of those kind of emergency situations where MEND is dealing with news stories and emerging kind of political situations, a lot of them don't even come to light as to what happened and what goes on. But I think it's so, so important that that's remembered because 
MEND is a kind of organization where we talk to MPs, we talk to local councillors, but we also talk to media organizations, we talk to lawyers, we talk to businessmen. It's a complicated web of what needs to be done in order to tackle Islamophobia. Mm. That wasn't really a question, that was a bit of a... No, <laughs> but, but don't worry, I can turn it into a question and give you an answer. Inshallah, you Brilliant. know what? They say the secret to success is to surround yourself with people smarter than you, right? I'd add to the fact that the secret to success isn't just to surround yourself with people smarter than you, but people who are good at doing what you can't do as well. So we have the good fortune at our board level in men of people like Shazad, our CEO, yeah? It was just mind-bogglingly brilliant at certain things which I could never be that good at, whether it's analysing risk at speed or on a certain statement going out and uh, so on and so forth. And we have people like Izzy, Isabel, who works, I don't know, must work 30 hours a day, right? Even though there's only 24 on technical content with the team behind her as well. People like Aman and Azar, who kind of entire the entire national footfall and I sometimes go to MEND regions and I see MEND volunteers and we have the advisory panel, which is great. We had some rough times two years ago, three years ago, was it? I don't even remember. I think two years ago, where a number of people left the organization because they didn't agree with my management style and that's okay. And again, it reminds me of when Fergie first came to Old Trafford. He got rid of some of the players who were the big names there, but he never lived to regret it because the success they had afterwards multiple fold was way beyond what big egos would have afforded them. And for me, it was somewhat similar a few years ago where some people had to leave. Their egos were just too big and the organization was bigger than them. And since then, we have doubled, tripled, quadrupled in size as an organization, alhamdulillah. Back to your point about believing in the youth and not living with the baggage of the older, more established individuals. So yeah, I'd like to think I certainly surrounded myself with people far more intelligent than myself. Alhamdulillah, that's been part of why the whole thing has grown to the, the stage at which it has. Alhamdulillah, inshallah, it will continue to grow as well. But one thing I would say to your people watching today and generally and, and the entrepreneurs as well is the entrepreneur always brings three things to any situation. People understand one, they never get their heads around the other two. And whether you're approaching an entrepreneur or you are the entrepreneur, this is so key. The most important thing the entrepreneur brings any equation isn't money. People approach the entrepreneur and they say, join our committee because you're going to give a 10 grand, 20 grand donation, 50, 100,000 donation. Completely the wrong way of thinking. The biggest thing the entrepreneur does, and Muslim organizations need to know this, is bring strategy and know-how. The biggest thing our Muslim organizations have lacked, and in a sense why I had no option but to become a sacrificial lamb in this space, is having a serious strategy, a real game plan. So when you approach an entrepreneur, don't go for the jugular and the money first. Get them to help you with your strategy as an organization. God's gift to the entrepreneur, if nothing else, they might be useless at eye for detail and timekeeping and all sorts and diplomacy. And I've made all the mistakes. But strategy is their forte. They know how to make things work. They know how to get to their objective, come what may at the end. So use them for what they're best at, which is strategy first. Secondly, contacts. So when you were talking about when issues occur, I'll call this person to make sure they get this and this and this and is because usually people owe entrepreneurs a lot of favors. Entrepreneurs have usually financed a lot of ventures over the years, have usually opened doors for others, or usually very well respected. And so use the contacts the entrepreneur has for society's benefit. 
for your business's benefit, for your project's benefit. Thirdly is the money. Thirdly is where the money comes in. Yeah, if yeah. he's got the money and he thinks you've got a decent project, he'll stick his money in it. Yeah? But if not, still use their brains and their contacts. They are far more important than their money. And that's why when they invite the entrepreneur on the mosque committee to be the treasurer, I always find it so stupid, right? Okay, he'll give you a 10, 50, 100 grand donation. Use his brain to make your mosque a better place to benefit the local non-Muslim and Muslim community. No, Jazakallah khair. Sofian, I wanted to pick up probably finally because we're probably getting quite late and I don't want to get in trouble with your wife and kids. I know they're formidable people in their own right. So Alhamdulillah. I wouldn't want to get into trouble with my wife either. Don't worry, bro. <laughs> Where is MEND heading now? And what does the next kind of five years hold for MEND? What are MEND's objectives? Its objectives are, one, ensuring Islamophobia per se is reduced in school. You've seen the latest victim we've had is a four-year-old child being bullied, right? And so on and so forth. So ensuring Islamophobia in schools, universities, across society, physical attracts, murders, blah, blah, blah. All of that in a quantitative fashion is dramatically reduced, inshallah, by virtue of all of its programs. But in addition, and bear in mind, I'm pretty hands-off now with men, so this is largely activity and success by the team, teams on the ground anyway, and the regional managers and the staff and everyone and so on. Secondly, it wants to ensure this country is a space where Muslim kids can grow up without fear in any way, shape or form. It wants to ensure non-Muslims fully understand what this thing is and realize it's a positive contribution, blah, 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 blah. Essentially, we're not packing our bags and going back to India, Pakistan, Bangladesh or whatever. We're here to stay. And consequently, society needs to know that. And at the same time, we need to ensure we've done what's required for society not to have that fear and Islam to be protected, inshallah. So where men really needs to be is it needs to solidify its already pretty good financial base, alhamdulillah, because its infrastructure consists. So the key thing is, if you look at how Facebook, Twitter, and these sorts of entities and organizations do very well, is they build an infrastructure, then everyone sees that infrastructure as relevant to them and links into it. What is Facebook without the followers? It's worth less than my mobile phone without the followers. It's worth billions and billions and billions with its followers. So what men really needs to do is it needs to have all the infrastructure, all the platform for people to easily be able to link in at all levels to the organization. Whether you're a 70-year-old auntie like my mom, whether you're a 16-year-old guy like my kid, you've got to be able to link into the organization because one, you see it as relevant to your life. And two, it has allowed you easy access to get involved and make the change you wish society to be. And that's not easy when you're dealing with the resource constraints that charitable organizations are dealing with. So beyond that relevance to every Muslim and non-Muslim out there, and, you know, I think it applies to non-Muslims as well, but beyond that relevance, MEND has really got to do a better job in terms of its presence in the media. It's got to do a better job, not that it's not tried, but as far as some of the political parties are concerned, which have willingly shunned away the Muslim community. So MEND has a very clear game plan internally ranging from infrastructure to delivery partners to campaigns to stakeholders to its policy work to its legal defense unit it needs to continue growing because probably the first prototype in the western world doing it properly inshallah with the proper infrastructure with localized grassroots teams with campaigns being run well and proper research and lobbying probably now exists with men so the glass ceiling has been smashed it has happened yeah 
But now what really needs to happen is two key things. One is it needs to grow in virtually every department that it's in because it's nowhere near the size some of its rivals in other communities would be. So it punches above its weight, yeah. Regional managers work like mad, staff work like mad. Punches above its weight, no doubt, but it still needs to grow dramatically. Secondly, though, above and beyond that, it's got to ensure a lot of its activity is within the non-Muslim community space as well. And thirdly, like Harvey Dent in The Batman said, he said, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, right? And that's obviously my story with men. Either I live long enough to see myself become the villain and it's inevitable. It's absolutely inevitable. Or at some relatively recent juncture, I call it today. And I suspect that probably is in the not too distant future. There's lots more of this sort of stuff that needs to be done globally is the reality amongst other stuff. So I think any organization's reliance on its founder. So it's not an ego trip. This is just about any business and Said will know this and I knew this in 1E and you will know this in IFT. The reliance on the founder is something, whether it's contacts, whether it's mediation ability, whether it's financials, whatever sphere it may be in, that reliance has got to be slowly but surely taken away, reduced, diminished. An ordinary operation, even if it's with ordinary people, though the men people are extraordinary, is always better than one extraordinary person. It always, always is. So that then being the case, it has got to become fully independent of myself in every sphere. And inshallah, it's almost entirely there anyway. So inshallah, it shouldn't be too much longer before it is in every sphere. So you either die that hero. I'm not even sure they'd see me as a hero. I think most of them become a villain anyway, yeah? That <laughs> is the point. Or you live long no, enough to see yourself become a villain. Yeah? I think one other interesting characteristic that I've seen in you, which I think listeners might benefit from, is how you respond to people with different views and different perspectives or people who might disagree with you. And especially talking about the non-Muslim focus, this is something that perhaps in the early days of MEND perhaps wasn't there. But I think some quite key characteristic that I think I learned from you is that if the data or the argument that the person is putting makes sense, then you just have to take it on board and you incorporate that into your overall picture. I think that's something that people can definitely benefit from. And finally, I wanted to say to all of the people who are listening that the way I see MEND is that it's not really a charity or an NGO or anything like that. You know, if you're donating to it, the way I see it is it's insurance. You're literally putting money towards an organization that will enable you and your children to practice your religion, live your life securely and peacefully. And to my mind, there's no other organization that does that. And that's the reason why I've always wholeheartedly supported MEND. And I would encourage all of you to set up a direct debit to MEND, even if it's a little amount of money, 5, 10, 15, 20 pounds, whatever it is, I urge you to do that. I'm not sponsored by MEND or anything. It's genuinely, I think that it is the right thing to do. And we as a community, we often are moved by emotions when giving in charity, but we're not thinking strategically. But if we thought strategically, we realized that there's only really a, a handful of key organizations that we absolutely have to be supporting. And I think MEND is definitely, definitely one of them. So yeah, very warm to you and the MEND team. There's a lot of really, really hardworking people in the MEND team that do a lot of stuff and go through a lot of sacrifice in this. It's not like any other charity where it's just about hard work. And that's obviously very rewarding, but 
with MEND, it comes with an additional burden of your reputation and other kind of threats and pressures. So Jazakallah khair to all of you guys who do that. Jazakallah khair for making the time for coming on here. So if you are you on like Twitter or is there any other place that people can follow you easily? I'm really not much of a social media person. Just have very small accounts on it for the sake of it. You will hardly see an original post by me maybe every six months. An original post as opposed to a retweeted one. Uh, never check the direct mail. Don't bother. If you want to try and get a message across, there's only two ways of doing it. One is to join men. <laughs> right? Give it lots of time and you'll come across my face periodically. The second is you do have sufianismile.com that you can email at. To be fair, it does get a lot of traffic, but my PA can filter it and inshallah, if it's relevant, we can have a look at it. I do hope that as my time in men reduces, which as I say, it's already now is the case, thanks to a fantastic staff base, volunteers, advisory panel, and critically the board, which is phenomenal. So people just do not realize how strong that small group of individuals is. It's getting easier from a time perspective, alhamdulillah. I definitely want to do more with Muslim entrepreneurs, finding investment for them to grow, working with them in terms of growing their businesses and things like that. Entrepreneurs are not just the lifeblood of the economy. Just think of how many masajid, Muslim schools, how all this sort of infrastructure in our community was built with businessmen's donations. And so on. So it's absolutely key. Just my kind of final comment, if you want, before we call it a day, Thanks to IFG. I think there's obviously been a lot, lot more we could talk about. And maybe we can do another Q&A at some point, inshallah. And it's great, Definitely. great to see so many questions as well, alhamdulillah. But just final point from my side of the fence. They say tomorrow is for those who see today. In every crisis, there lies an opportunity, which quite often dwarfs the size of the crisis itself. And that is what this last thing here, and in my view, men represents. But when they put me in, the 500 most influential Muslims in the world. They put it in once. I thought it was a joke. They put it in again. I thought this is getting really silly. Yeah. And actually, on the back of all of the business stuff that we've done, we would never have ended up in that 500 most influential Muslims in the world. But the reason they did it was on the back of MEND. And that should tell you everything because in that 500 are people like Mufti Taki Uthmani and the really, really serious Muslims on earth who have kind of defined our faith and been critical to its preservation. So if by virtue of MEND they stuck me in that, then you really should find out more about what MEND is about and get involved, inshallah, and uh, so on and so forth. Jazakallah khair. Wa alaikum assalam wa Jazakallah khair to all the listeners as well. Until next time, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.